heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Magdal, and want to remind you of all the ways you can follow us. You can go ahead and like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball. You can follow us on Twitter, Locked uh, at Locked On WBB, or go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, I would urge all of you to listen to the shows we've had prior to today, along with tonight, which quite frankly, is going to be remarkable. We have David Siegel here, and I just have to talk a little bit about David before uh, we start and just talk about the fact that when I became serious about women's basketball and covering it, there was a source that I needed to go to, a go-to source that was getting better interviews and more interviews with people than anyone else, quite frankly, across the media spectrum on a regular basis. And that was David's Dish and Swishing podcast. And I, I told David uh, last year when I was privileged enough to be on the show that I was disappointed because that meant I already knew what the content was on that show. So uh, that was one Dish and Swishing I wasn't going to be listening to because it was me. So, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the broadcast. And uh, I just hope I live up to what you do on a regular basis. Uh, Howard, thank you very much. You know, there, there's a lot of great women's basketball out there. And it's a pleasure having people like you also now doing podcasts, plus your tremendous writing and covering the sport and giving a lot of different angles that other people haven't. And I think that it, it is just something that can only enhance our love for the sport. And it's always a pleasure. Now, I just hope I can live up to that introduction. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you will. You know, it's so true. And, you know, even just to talk bigger picture on that for a moment, there really is a tremendous amount of storylines that don't necessarily get covered as completely as you see on the men's game, whether it's college hoop, whether it's pro. And so I just think we, we all need to be the sort of collective megaphone that casts uh, a bigger light on the many wonderful players and teams that there are in the sport. So let's get right to it if we can. And there's a team that some people are familiar with, um, you know, kind of obscure, not, not a lot of press that they get, uh, the Connecticut Huskies and Gino Oriamis team. And so I guess that's the place to start because you were with them last night. Take me through what your initial thoughts were uh, about not only the win over Chattanooga, but just what you've seen from them so far this year. Yeah, that's that team that Juno said uh, needs to get their asses kicked. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, they, that they're getting a little too big for their britches, and they think that it's going going to be this easy all year round. But <laughs> you know, it, it really is interesting to watch them because he had on. He actually made a couple of really interesting points last night. In his, he was in his glory holding court last night. Uh, you know, with all As the sense of, with all the sense of humor, and, and he was very happy in a good mood, very happy. Uh, talking about that the kids are different, that, you know, he, he would have thought that after a week off that his team was going to come out ready to go, and he was looking forward to that, and then they came out pretty flat, and they had a pretty poor first half overall against Chattanooga, but still managed to open up a lead. And then in the second half, he decided they decided that they were ready to play, in his words, and uh, they just they had a ridiculous second half where they held Chattanooga to 12 points. 
and I, just blew the game out. So so it is a different group, but the the scores are looking the same. But this it's definitely not getting the style points that you would have seen last year with the big three there. And you know, to be fair, Chattanooga, you know, with the loss, they fell to three and six. But Chattanooga's played an absolutely brutal schedule, you know, between Connecticut and they, they actually opened at Rutgers and won uh, fairly handily. Uh, and they, they have Jasmine Joyner, who, as you pointed out, had nine blocks in a game earlier this year, uh, preseason conference player of the year for her conference. And also someone who really impressed me was Chelsea Schumpert, uh, who didn't get the start uh, last night, but is a tremendous playmaking point guard. So they have some legit players. That's a team that I think has a good chance to make the NCAA tournament and won't be an easy out in the first round. But to hold them to five points in the third and seventh in the seven in the fourth, I mean, that is shades of the type of defensive efficiency that UConn put up last year. But look, it's a very different team. And I guess the place that I'm most curious, and I think the biggest question coming into the year was, who is going to be their number one scorer, their go-to? And there were a lot of different uh, opportunities uh, to embrace that role. Kia Nurse was obviously someone people thought would be, and she was preseason player of the year in the AAC. But so far, it really has been Nafisa Collier. What do you see from her game? Uh, and do you think that she is likely to be that number one option for them uh, over the rest of this year? Yeah, it's it's definitely Nafisa and also Katie Lou Samuelson from the more from the outside, the out the inside and outside between the two of them. And, and it's kind of ironic because, you know, obviously you don't want to put the pressure or say that, you know, somebody is the equivalent of the Stuart Tuck combination or anything like that. But, you know, because they're clearly not. But, you know, Nafisa Collier, you could easily compare to a Morgan Tuck type of player where she does have the jump shot ability, but she seems to always end up with the ball in her hands in the lane or around the basket, and it always finds a way in. I mean, yesterday she missed a layup to start the game. It was probably the easiest shot she had all game. And then she proceeded to hit the next 11 shots that she had. She went 11 for 12 for the game. So it's just that kind of efficiency. Now, Gino, of course, pulls off the old line that says, uh, Nafisa, you know, the ball always goes in when she gets it, and it always goes in when whoever she's defending gets it. (laughs) <laughs> so, but but Lou, with her ability to hit the outside shot too, is going to be crucial to this team all year because she is the one consistent player that can stretch things and open it up a little bit so that people like Collier and Gabby Williams can get around it and use their quickness in the paint. But without that open shot from from Samuelson or without that ability to to hit that jump shot, you know, that that's going to slow them down a lot if that's not the case. And, you know, it's interesting with Katie Lou because she was such a three-point specialist at the start of last year, and she took 18 shots last night, uh, which was significantly more than Collier, you know, went eight for 18, but only four of them were from three. So she was doing a tremendous amount of trying to get to the basket, looking for the mid-range, and she's really diversified her game. So I, I, I certainly agree with you that there's a real chance for her to be that potential number one. I will say that the great Gabrielle Levine, of course, uh, who has previously been on the podcast and someone we both know, she made a comparison between Collier and Candace Dupree. You've seen them both play. What do you think of that? It's not a not a terrible comparison at all. I mean, uh, Collier, I think, has a little bit more flexibility at this point in her career. She she's got a pretty decent handle. 
she does uh, she does move very well without the ball and and can hit that. Uh, she she can hit a couple of threes, but she can definitely hit that foul line elbow jumper. Uh, Dupree at this point in her career was a lot more of a inside presence. Uh, but I think that if you look at the way that Dupree's game developed, and yes, you could certainly see that type of comparison. Uh, but but you know she there's something. One thing that jumped out at me watching last night's game, though, that was that is really interesting. I thought about this year's group. You know, in the past, you know, it was give the ball to Mariah and go. Now, with Crystal Dangerfield being out last night, what I was able to really notice is there are a lot of players on UConn that can dribble the ball. Hmm. I mean, Gabby Williams was getting rebounds and leading the break, and Samuelson and Nurse we know about, Chang we know about, you know, and, and even Collier on the break. They're going to be very, very difficult to press because they have so many people that can handle the ball. I don't recall, honestly, a UConn team with this many players with that kind of handle. It's almost a positionless UConn team, which is a really interesting thing, but also speaks to why I think it's been difficult for a Natalie Butler to necessarily find her place other than spot minutes as a backup center, which is a shame because what you're trading off there is perhaps the best interior defender, although certainly Gabby Williams is no slouch, but Natalie Butler is someone who could go up against centers. And I, I think it's really significant that she's been as effective as she's been off the bench so far. I agree. I think that Natalie Butler, as the year goes on and you play some of these other teams, you play a South Carolina, you play Notre, Notre Dame, you know, you get against some of these true centers, she's going to need to play defense, much like she did against Baylor and much like she did against Florida State when they had the size. 100%. Uh, she, yeah, she's definitely going to need to need to be a contributor, no doubt about it. Well, and she'll need to be a contributor coming up in what is a march of death over the next, let's say, seven-day period. From December 1st to December 7th, UConn plays three games – and all three are against teams in the top 15 in the country. You've got DePaul on December 1st. DePaul just dismantled a very good Syracuse team uh, that brought back Brittany Seitz and Alexis Peterson. And then they've got Texas on December 4th, who has just about everyone other than the great Imani Boyette, of course. And then on December 7th, the showdown in South Bend, uh, the most difficult challenge yet for a team that's won 80 straight, and if they manage to beat DePaul in Texas, will have won 82 straight at number one Notre Dame. So if you could take me through what you see as the biggest challenges for them to face against these upcoming opponents. Well, I think the biggest, the, the first of all, the, the one thing that can't be overlooked is the fact that DePaul will be played at Gamble Pavilion, uh, which is really, really uh, the the true home court advantage that UConn has more so than the XL center where they play some of their games. It's Absolutely. on campus. The crowd, the crowd can get really raucous there. The students are there. So, so that's always something that comes to their, that plays to their advantage. And I think that was a key to them defeating Baylor, uh, who we've seen else who we know is a, is a really good team. Did, uh, did you see, were you at the Baylor game? I was. So did, it seemed like Baylor got rattled a little bit. They well, did. Game. Definitely did. What do you you just attribute that to going into Dampo, going to the most difficult to play, a difficult place to play in this sport? I think that was part a big part of it because mm -hmm. of the fact that you know they it is so close. The students right on top of you. I do think that 
you know, Baylor, while it has some, you know, people look at Alexis Jones and, and Nina Davis and see seniors, but, you know, Kalani Brown and that crew, they're all, they're sophomores. So, so for them to go into something like that, you know, in that environment this early in the season, I think uh, definitely played into it. The other thing in the Baylor game was, I don't think Baylor wasn't prepared for the quickness and jumping ability that the UConn posts had with the exception of Butler, of course, mm-hmm. you know, UConn would rotate Butler in to play hard physical against them. And then in the, you know, once she was out of foul trouble and it was no longer in play, Baylor would try to do those lob passes into the post. They don't do a good job making bounce pass entries. They try to lob it in a lot. And Gabby Williams and, uh, you know, Samuelson with her height and Collier with her jumping ability were constantly able to either tip passes or force them to throw it long. And Baylor threw several of them out of bounds. So I, I think Baylor was not really well prepared for that game yet. And, and of course, it's worth pointing out, too. That's a great point. But uh, on the other end, uh, someone who is able to throw a really good entry pass is Crystal Dangerfield, who was dominant offensively in the game. Might have been the difference you know, between Dangerfield and Butler. Uh, they, they really made, I think, uh, the, the difference against Baylor. Whether Dangerfield is able to play and what level she's able to play at, coming back from uh, a concussion, which is no easy thing without a clear linear return, uh, is a, a really an open question, especially against a DePaul team that absolutely can run the floor and, and get up and down the floor uh, and score. I mean, they scored 108 points against Syracuse. Yeah, she is. She is going to be needed uh, on the defensive end against DePaul, assuming that uh, she will. Gino seemed to think she would be cleared. Hopefully, she will be, because one player that people don't give enough credit to, and maybe it's because it's DePaul, maybe it's because he, Doug swap Doug Bruno, you know, swaps in five at a time or whatever. You never know what the mad scientist is going to do. But Jessica January, their point guard, is a tremendous player. Oh, no and question. she and she will make a difference in this game if D- Dangerfield isn't there to defend because you know Nurse is is, okay, is a decent defender but January is quick she's strong she's going to be a very difficult defend for somebody anybody else in the, that plays backcourt for UConn they're going to need the quickness of Dangerfield to stay in front of January you know to my mind I, I couldn't I could watch Jessica January play all day and. She does everything well. It's interesting, though, when you talk about that system, that system demands that players do everything well. And so when I see a DePaul player uh, come along who is able to excel in that system, all right, what do I know about that player? That player can score. That player can almost certainly shoot the three. That player has to be able to pass and pass well and make quick decisions on the break. That is a player who has to be able to rebound the basketball. That's something Jessica January does extremely well from the point guard position. I mean, I mean, I, we've had this conversation in person about uh, Megan Patoa, uh, who I thought absolutely deserved a shot in the WNBA uh, after her senior season. And I still hope gets that opportunity down the line. But being able to do it at DePaul is very significant. And so it'll, it'll be interesting. They'll, they'll be primed to try and shock the world. I, I mean, what, they- yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. They hit 19 threes against Syracuse. <laughs> I oh mean, man, I mean that's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. And 
And it's always fun when Gino and Doug get together because mm -hmm. they have such respect for each other. And, uh, you know, somebody asked yesterday, what was the, the best thing and the worst thing about coaching with and against Doug? And Gino said, the best part is after the game, when you go out, he <laughs> said, the, he said, the worst part is the fact that he does so many different things at different times. He said, last year, they brought in that they started to, sw to do subs like Arizona State does with the five at a time, like hockey lines. Right. He said they had never done that. He never did it before. So he asked Bruno why he did it last night. He said, I don't know. I just kind of felt like it. And, you know, he, he, Doug just does what he thinks is going to do. He's been around for a long time. He's yeah. coached with the best. And he and he, he's just one of the most fun coaches out there to, to watch and to cover. I, I just have tremendous respect for him. Yeah, same here. It's it wouldn't be the craziest thing to see DePaul be the one that ends that streak at eighty. But I wonder what you think of the next three games. Do you think that UConn gets through this gauntlet with their winning streak intact? No. Okay. Well, no, nope. I, th I think I I think they're going to beat DePaul because mm -hmm. it's because in the home court and in, in general they do have better talent overall, and I think that that's yeah. going to come into play. I think that Texas is not quite where Texas is going to be come April. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they'll be able to beat Texas uh, in part because of the fact that, yeah, it's a neutral court, Mohegan Sun. Uh, yeah, not exactly the most neutral. Uh, but oh. uh, I, I think that Texas will give them a good challenge. And I think that you kind of win that game. And then they head to Purcell and I'm going to tell you something right now that I don't know if anybody, I'm going to, I'm going to go on record right now and tell you that Notre Dame is going to enter the NCAA tournament, having looked at their schedule as the number one team in the country and undefeated. Wow. Wow. I mean, that would be huge. That would be, I, I, and let's not forget, by the way, Texas had their season ended by UConn in the NCAA tournament last year. So they have had this game circled. You can bet Karen Aston will have, uh, her players ready as well, but all right. So you, I, I will, I will take the opposite view, uh, and I, I think very highly of Muffet, of course, and I really like that Notre Dame team. I believe that UConn will lose when I see UConn lose, and <laughs> I can't, I can't bet against That's a that fair team statement. until until it happens. There are too many players on that team who were part of the winning over the past few years, who are extremely skilled who are able to create matchup problems inside and out. So I, I will maintain, I think UConn stays undefeated. I'm willing to revise my belief as we get closer to the South Carolina game, because South Carolina absolutely blew me away with the way they destroyed Louisville. On They're Sunday. a tremendous team. But, I, you know, having having watched Notre Dame a couple times, would I, would I have been feel a little more confident of going to this game if they had actually left the state of Indiana for more than five minutes in their first games? <laughs> yeah, I mean the only play, the only time, you know, they, they Washington, uh, they defeated. That was a good game. They struggled a little bit with Green Bay, but I think they were looking mm -hmm. past them. Uh, I, I just think from top to bottom, this roster has more more talent than I've seen on a Notre Dame team. You know, they they just you know. The the improvement of I'm you know I suck at pronouncing it but I'm gonna I'm, 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 I never get it right but she has been a tremendous talent. Oh no! You know, Mabry hit Mabry is still shooting lights out. Turner is getting better by the day because he's getting stronger. Yeah. And, and I love 
know, the, the one that I love is Christina Nelson. Because I love anybody that goes out there and has more fouls than minutes played. Uh, <laughs> she, but, but, she, but she's a great rebounder, and she just she's, oh, she's going sure. to just yeah. beat on people in there. And I think that you know I, that's going to come into play with all of the size that they have. I think they're going to be able to wear down people. Plus, they have the great point guard in Lindsey Allen. Yeah. So I, I think that they're a very, very talented team. And I think that they are going to be very, very difficult to beat. Plus, when I look at their schedule, you know, to, to be fair in, in my choice here, they do play DePaul in Chicago, mm-hmm. and that'll be a challenge. And they do go down and play Tennessee while no one's quite sure how good the Lady Vols are so far, you know, in Tennessee. But they get Duke, in, Duke at Purcell. They get Louisville at Purcell. They get Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. But then they get Florida State at Purcell. Mm-hmm. So they have a really home-loaded schedule for the conference. And I think that despite the fact that the ACC is so good, I think that that's going to make a difference, that the best teams, Florida State, Louisville, they're going to get them at home. Well, uh, I, I mean, it's been Notre Dame's conference, you know, uh, since since they joined. And so I, I think if they beat UConn, I think you're right that the odds are – pretty good they get to the NCAA tournament undefeated. I, w- I will say, you know, you talked about Nelson. That is one key matchup, uh, Nelson against Natalie Butler. If she can get Natalie Butler, Butler in foul trouble, if she can keep her busy enough that Turner has a freer hand, I don't necessarily know that Gabby Williams is a great matchup for Turner, just at the defense. No, I don't think she is. I, I agree I mean, with you. Several inches she's got on her. I'm, I'm Fascinating to see it, but it's going to be very interesting. And then, of course, the other goes back to what we talked about with Crystal Dangerfield, where if she is not on the floor and playing at the level she played against Baylor, let's say, then Lindsay Allen simply doesn't have the same amount of work she has to do at the defensive end, has a much freer hand to concentrate her energy uh, and her area of emphasis uh, on the offense. So it very mel- very well may be that it works out to Notre Dame's advantage. I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame won, but I'm I'm stick with UConn for now. Of course, you know my my predictions about the future are uh, historically bad, so I, I I refuse to take responsibility. If it doesn't <laughs> well, the other out. thing the other thing is the fact that it is at Purcell. Yeah, if the game was at Campbell Pavilion, it might be more like last year. Uh, when Notre Dame gave them a good game, good game for most of it, but at, you know, in the end, UConn managed to pull away. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar situation, where over the course of you know the, over the game, they'll wear people down. You know, Gabby Williams has to stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that just the home court is going to come will will add on to the Notre Dame's abilities to win this game. It's, it's going to be fascinating. I I am. Very excited for the game. Although I will say, and and not that you have done this, but you talked about, you know, be more like last year. I had someone say to me on Twitter, you know, who would win last year's UConn team or this year's South Carolina team? And this is a very good South Carolina team. But no, there's that's not a question. There's that that UConn team may be the best team I have covered in any sport, let alone basketball. And I, I guess the... Evidence that I would provide, my favorite is the way Mississippi State early on with Victoria Vivians has just been running through people, uh, you know, legit top 10 team. That is the team that lost 
to UConn in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Largely the same team. I thought you had an excellent comparison and a good one. Uh, I thought it was real good on on Twitter when you said, who would be better, this year's South Carolina team or last year's Oregon State team? I thought that was a very good comparison. I think that was an an overlooked team, that Oregon State team with – you know, with Weiss and uh, Hamblin inside, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and Jamie uh, Weisner was, was and, and Weisner, as, you know, I thought that was a great team. I think that South Carolina is looking strong now. They are probably the best team in the country right now. Uh, they have gelled faster than anybody else would have possibly imagined. And they do probably have four early first round WNBA draft picks out yeah. there. So uh, whether they can keep it together and whether they can handle the pressure as the season builds on and go through the SEC, it'll be fun to watch. I do lo- I love the fact that they're playing UConn in February once the teams have all had the opportunity to spend some time in gel. That's, my, that's the one thing I, I always regret is I, I enjoyed the Baylor-UConn game. I enjoyed the Florida State game, and the Notre Dame game will be great too, as will Texas and DePaul. But they're, it's so early. I would love to see them play in February and March, but of course, conferences prevent that from happening. Well, I guess I'd say this. If I agree, if I'm a fan, if I'm Don Staley, boy, I would have liked to have gotten him in November. <laughs> that I agree with. Because <laughs> by, by February, when, when Geno's had an opportunity to work with Crystal Dangerfield for months and had this team has had a chance to find its roles in the post-Big Three era, I, I, I think it's going to be a much bigger challenge. But I, on the flip side of it, South Carolina is going to have a chance to gel and uh, continue to get better. And look, this it's real early, but boy, I'm sitting there watching that Louisville game and thinking this really might just be Dawn's year. So yep, it, they dismantled a very, very good Louisville team. No I, I didn't about come it. away from that thinking Louisville uh, was bad. I didn't come away thinking that Louisville had problems to address. I came away thinking, wow, South Carolina just showed me they're at a different level than anyone else I've seen so far this year. You know, and it's funny. I, I was kidding around when I had Walls on the podcast last year. I said, you know, every year I start by predicting them being a, a top five and a legit Final Four candidate. And then something happens in the middle of the year where I say, boy, did I miss the boat on that one, and they're not there. And then come tournament time, they prove me wrong again. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, that that's just – the way that his teams always seem to go. He says they start out and they hit a spot where they don't play well, and then come tournament time, they're ready. Well, and, and Asia Durr is just going to get better and better, you'd think, as the year goes on. Seeing her healthy tells you everything you need to know about how much she was playing hurt last year. So uh, it's going to be great to see. Well, so just to switch topics uh, a little bit uh, sure. from uh, from the great teams to some of the great players, Naismith uh, semifinalists came out this week, and the, yeah, the the, the watch preseason, list. preseason watch list. And so, I'm curious, just your initial thoughts. Uh, who sticks out to you as uh, you know people that you put at the top of that list? Number one and number two. Uh, if there were any uh, any big missing players that you were surprised didn't make it. Well, you know the thing. I look at the look at the list, and and it's funny because it, it's again you look, and there's four players from UConn still. There's three mm-hmm. from Notre Dame. There's uh, I think uh, four from South Carolina. So so the big teams are all are, are all well represented. That's that's for sure. Uh, you know when you start with fifty players, 
it's hard to overlook somebody. <laughs> and, and I it's think true. they did get they I think they did get the overwhelming majority. You know, the one thing that I always look at this and you know, as the season goes on, people like you and I like to look and see look at the mid majors mm-hmm. and look at some of their top players and such. Uh but when you look through the list that is out there, you you know, you've got Precious Hall from James Madison, mm-hmm. uh, who you know has lit it up to start the season, and really, that is about it. Uh, I'm sorry, and y- your favorite player from St. Louis. That's right, ja- uh, Jackie, Jackie Kemp. Kemp. Oh, Jackie I, Kemp I, is on the list I, I too. Gone on an on a Twitter tantrum that would have made the president elect <laughs> blush if Jackie Kemp hadn't made it because uh, that point guard is spectacular to watch one of the fastest I've ever seen and tremendous decision-making process with her. So uh, there's just a, a red alert to everyone listening. If you get a chance to see St. Louis play in person, make sure you do as that is a special player. And, and Lisa Stone has a special team brewing there, but I interrupted. Louis is a, yeah. No, no, but you're right. St. Louis is a fun team and they're yeah. going to be a legitimate team to, you know, to, I think they, they make the tournament. And they're they're one of those people. Like for years, we always talked about Marist, right? That you didn't want to play as the mid major that could knock people off, or Green Bay. You know, that, that or St. you all, St. Louis is a team that I'm also on the bandwagon there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I that mean, they're a good team. You you, you got uh, Jackie Kemp at the point. You got Sadie Stepanovich uh, inside. Uh, they've added some additional scoring on the wing now. Uh, that is a team, I, I'm not sure who challenges them in the A-10. You know, Kane losing people on GW, of course. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting. I think they are the team to beat in that league. Yeah, Duquesne is the only team that I could see really giving them a, a, some decent match. Duquesne, Duquesne brought a lot back. They lost some, yeah. but they brought a lot back. But, yeah, this is going to be a down year for Dayton, uh, I think. And uh, I think that that's going to be the team. But, you know, my point, but going back to the list, I mean, those are the only two mid-majors that made the list. Everything else is from, you know, assuming that you're going to include, you know, the the American and the Big East as not being mid-major conferences, then, you know, it's all the big ones. You know, Big Ten has a bunch. SEC has a lot. You know, it's... I, the, it's the same old, same old, and that's I a loved, little bit disappointing. I will say I loved seeing Chantel Osahor on the list. Uh, and as someone who has uttered the statement, Kelsey Plum can do everything, it is important for me to amend that by saying, but she doesn't do everything on that team because Chantel Osahor does a tremendous amount. And that's before even getting into the array of shooters they have. Bringing over Natalie Romeo is huge as well. But uh, Osahor's game is such an interesting blend of old school, <laughs> you know, whether it's that that flat-footed non-jump shot or just the banging inside and uh, the plus-plus rebounding that she manages uh, to get, at, you know, as, as a forward. Uh, she is just a very interesting player and a worthy uh, addition to that list as well, I think. She she definitely is, and the work that she clearly put in in the off season to transform her body and get into better shape is something that really has to be noted because it shows you know it it shows how serious she has taken improving her game. I mean, she could have very easily been the same player this year that she was last year, and that would have been really good, a really good player. Mm-hmm. because she, we saw what she did in the tournament, and Coach Neighbors clearly 
knows how to use her game, her ability to pass and her ability to post uh, and to shoot the three. But uh, the, the fact that she has made herself into a player that can play more minutes and do so much more is something that is tremendous. And, you know, the, the Pac-12 is, is loaded this year. Yeah, and, really uh, you know, I, I know for years I always joked that, you know, were, was there basketball west of the Mississippi? We, we didn't know <laughs> over here in Connecticut. But, uh, you know, there definitely is. And, and there's some really talented players on this list, people like Christine Inigua and Jordan Canada and people that hopefully, you know, the, you know, the games are played late, but hopefully people stay up and watch them. Uh, you know, and it's unfortunate that freshmen can't be on this list. Because mm-hmm. Oregon may have uh, one of the most exciting players in the country out there in Miss uh, Inesco there. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I, I'll give you another name who I, I would have liked to have seen on the list is uh, Aaliyah Butts uh, from Temple. Someone mm-hmm. who, who does uh, a tremendous amount for that team. Defensive end as well. Absolutely terrific playmaker. Uh, you know, I, I'm not just saying it because she's a fellow New Jersey uh, native as as am I. Uh, I, I think she's someone uh, who could belong on that list for a Temple team that, quite frankly, I think we're going to see come March. Uh, I, I'm I, obviously you can't put everyone on the list, but she's someone I would have liked to have seen there as well. Yeah, there there definitely are. I mean, there are definitely players that that are are missing. I mean, you can't you can't not miss people when you have fifty. You know, fifty. True. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of good ones. There's some that are missed. Uh, uh, her name escapes me now for a second, uh, and I feel really, really bad about that. Well, I'll give you another one uh, while you think of it. Alicia Frolin uh, at SMU, someone uh, who is essentially a walking double-double. This is true. So, this is true. Yeah, you know, she, she, uh, that, that, and she was overlooked, and she should be on there. Uh, who? Stanford. Is the, the girl that I'm thinking of? Well, not Erica McCall. Erica McCall's on the list. No, not right? Erica McCall. The the scorer, McGee, McKee, McPhee. Yes, that's it, McPhee. <laughs> I knew it was another Mac. Okay, and she is not on the list. No, it's true. It, it's true. And, and and Stanford, they're very interesting. I that Pac-12 boy, I, I could see any one of four teams really challenging for that title. You know, whether whether it's Stanford. I am not ready to write off Oregon State by any means. And UCLA and Washington, who I think are the two favorites, I would go right down to the wire. But uh, that that is, like you said, I, I am going to be bleary-eyed on many a Saturday morning when I wake up with my with my wife and daughter. So uh, it'll be well worth it. Uh, and, and I am saying, don't, don't sleep on the Ducks. No, Kelly you're right. Gra- Kelly Graves is a tremendous coach. And that team, that's another team that, they're going to take out some people as the time goes on, as the season goes on. They're going to spring some upsets. I think they're still a year away, but I think that that's a team that is definitely on the rise. Uh, and, and, and and no one should want to play Utah. And no one should want to have to go in the lane and face Emily Potter. Uh, so they, yeah, there are very few easy games in that Pac-12. Uh, but speaking of easy games, hard games, and somewhere in between, uh, let's talk before we, we end this uh, podcast about the WNBA schedule that got released this week. And uh, obviously, it's a very difficult thing uh, for me emotionally because I see these games, I'm eager to watch them, uh, but it doesn't start till May, and here we are at the end of November. So in the meantime, that gives us you know a good half a year to plan, and I'm glad the lead did it. 
literally does it early. But I'm just curious, initial thoughts as to uh, what you saw out of the uh, schedule release. Well, the first thing is that I thought it was like what you just said. I thought it was really cool that they decided to do it so early this year. I, I think that that was nice. I think it. One of the things that I've always complained about about the league is that they take the. It just seems so often they take the winner off, mm-hmm. that they don't do anything to help promote the the league. They, you know, team. Some teams are are getting better and better at it, uh, but it's nice to see the league do some put out put out a schedule now and give people the opportunity, like you said, to start planning in, in advance and looking to see what it is. And just to yeah. give you a comparison, last year it was January twenty eighth. That's, that was yeah, when they released it. And that's just, you know, it, the other thing that happens is when, when, you, when you hold it off that long, whether you like it or not, speculation begins on whether the teams are going to survive, hmm. what's going on, why is this taking so long. You know, it, it, by, by releasing it now in November, they're saying, these are the teams, this is what we're going to have this year, and we're ready to, it, we're locked and loaded, and it's going to roll. Well, so, okay. so let me let me ask you this about the initial day. So the initial day has some really tasty matchups, really interesting ones, but not the Lynch and the Sparks. And I've I've seen it posited elsewhere on Twitter. Some that struck me as well. You'd never have seen that on the NBA side. If if two teams had engaged in the kind of unbelievable, perhaps best ever. WNBA finals, if that had been on the NBA side, those teams were absolutely guaranteed to tip off against each other uh, right away. Now, we're not seeing those games happen until July, August. What did you think of that decision? Because you can make the argument flip side. All right, these are going to be the teams that are a good bet to be at or near the end. So you want to save their games for later in the season once you've had a chance to build up. No, it's nuts. <laughs> I gotta agree. I gotta agree with you. I'm sorry, but yeah. but you know, first first of all, to to not have it on on opening day, you know, is, is silly. You, that game definitely should have been held right away. To not have it until July yeah. is really crazy. And, and then I, I I gotta call them out on it to put on your website a column that says five dates to circle on the calendar. Mm-hmm. And the first one is the Liberty against San Antonio. It, 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 you know, last place San Antonio. And then you actually put down, you know, number two on your list is Thursday, July 6th finals rematch. Number one. Yeah. I mean, come on guys. I mean, well, let's, let's get Let's get it together here. So here, here's my argument. All right. Here's my argument for that game. New York, Third best team. They have a lot to prove after the early exit in the playoffs last year at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. And San Antonio is not only going to have Mariah Jefferson in year two, but that number one overall pick, whoever it might be, a certain South Carolina center, uh, perhaps the center from Maryland, Bree Jones, who should shoot up draft boards, but we'll have that conversation another time. And that that's the best I've got. I, I mean, Kayla McBride, of course, who's fantastic. Well, Daniel I Robin. agree. I understand that what you're saying and I can get, and I get it, but I look, you know, then I turn around and I look and I say, okay, I look at the draft board Everybody and I look at those guys. And, and while I see quality, I don't see 
star power. No, I okay. So, so I understand. Well, okay. the Kelsey's, but they're probably not going to be San Antonio Pitts if San Antonio. Well, exa- Pitts you know, yeah, Ross. I can see Plum. Uh, Plum at least has that has the personality. Mitchell has tremendous talent, but yeah. she's very quiet. So, so she's not she's not Stewie. You know, she's not Tarasi. She's not Candace. You know, she's not the the star power number one pick that you want to really push as your number one marketing tour. So I understood that, which which then leads us into the second game on that day, which is Seattle at Los Angeles. Yes. So at least you're getting Stewie in there against Candace and the and the Sparks. Understood. And then they have Atlanta, and the reigning MVP. By the way, let's not forget the reigning MVP. Absolutely, and Neca. Yes. Uh, but to me. What 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 they have to start pushing in this league is rivalries. Yes, like that. Yes, and, and to push Connecticut and New York. You've yeah. got a natural local boundary there. You know, try and push that into a rivalry. You got Lambeer. Connecticut hates Lambeer. You know, they <laughs> go him mercilessly when he comes in. When he when when Mike was the head coach here, it was yeah. tremendous. The battles they had. Connecticut's on the rise. You've got somebody like Cheney. That is so marketable. Put Connecticut against New York on opening but, day. But David, I, you, yes, um, yes to all of that. But you've got LA and Minnesota. You've already got it. You, you, oh you yeah, have, not just that the that's, two that's, best that's teams from last year. Oh my God! I mean, not just the two best teams, but the two best teams who, by the end of that series, were at each other's throats. Absolutely. And this has been a thing that I've seen. Over and over with the lead, I, I I never understand it. This desire to shy away from anything like this, anything right. like a rivalry, anything like what we just saw. But I know a lot of people who were watching the WNBA finals, and first of all, the the true believers like us, you know, it was incredible. But the people who were tuning in casually, they were hooked by what was going on. They couldn't believe the battles that were raging. And so just the fact that I'm not going to see Cheryl throw her jacket in an LA game until July really upsets me. I'll get over it. I will, but, but boy, that feels like a missed opportunity. Oh, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, I was just talking about the game. If you're going to try and if you're not going to do that, right. You no, know, what we said at the beginning is absolutely correct. That, that definitely should have been, should easily have been the number one game. And if you really, you know, I'll, I'll give you another one. If you wanted a good, good rivalry, you know, how about Phoenix coming in and playing New York on opening day yep. after after Phoenix knocked them out would have been in huge. the playoffs after all New York did last year. Oh, it would have been huge. And, and we're not even going to talk, we're not even talking about the fact that Poti Chapman is going to be going back to Chicago. That's going to be, I believe, June 18th. And, uh, you know, in her new role with the Fever, uh, going up against the team that let her go after six seasons uh, in, yep. in, in a decision that, uh, quite frankly, puzzles me uh, to no end, uh, especially right. especially in light of the fact that the, they obviously didn't have someone to replace her right away because, you know, we're now several weeks on and there's been no announcement. Um, so that that but that would be very interesting. I cannot wait to see uh, a pokey offense uh, you know, paired with the legacy of Tamika Katchen's defense. So that can be amazing as well. I will just say on New York, they really, really gave New York quite a challenge. You know, you know they opened at home uh, against San Antonio. They have two other home games in May. 
Los Angeles, and Minnesota. And then they have two games on the road at Seattle and at Phoenix. Uh, I mean, if you were making a preseason power rankings, those are probably your best bet as the four top teams with New York being right there in the mix with them as well. And they're going to have to face all four of them before May is out. Yeah, that is, that is an extremely tough schedule. Uh, you think they you know, would get a makeup call for the fact that, you know, they had to, because of the way the new playoff system worked. And uh, by and large, I thought a very successful playoff system. And I was really happy with the way it worked out. But the fact that the third overall seed had to play a single elimination game. No, those should uh, in be two out of game. three still. I've, that's what be. I've always thought and, and said. You know, the other, you know, but, but you know, your Connecticut also, you know, since obviously that's the one that I jump at, jump on, like you look at the Liberty, eight out of the, eight of the first 12 are on the road, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the good news is that they, this year, the, the two home game, you know, with the West coast this time last year, we had Minnesota twice. And I think LA here twice this year, it's Dallas and, uh, and Seattle. So, you know, I, I, the, that's nice, but it means that they're also going to Minnesota twice now and going to True. L.A. twice, I believe. Yeah, later on. And, and so, so, they, they played Minnesota tough at Minnesota, if memory serves. They, they were, played Minnesota tough, period. They were yeah. like the only team that could beat Minnesota regularly, and I'd be <laughs> darned if I could figure out why. But oh, those were fast I, I figured that Lindsey was still trying to be nice to Sun fans for – for coming for for being traded and uh, not being here anymore. That seems that seems awfully uh, magnanimous of her. I also well, want to. I wonder what Dallas is going to be. You know, Skyler now a full year removed from that knee surgery, and you know she's talked about this that she wasn't physically ready when the season began last year. That is so much of what Dallas does is based around Skyler Diggins and. She's just such a fascinating player to watch. There are fans, more recent fans of the lead, I think, who don't necessarily think of her as one of the three to see. If you came and started following the lead after three to see, Brittany Griner is her own brand now. Uh, Elena, of course, is her own brand. But Skyler was not only right there with them in terms of hype, in terms of college pedigree, but was playing at a level comparable to what they have done when she went down with that knee injury. So I, boy, I just hope nothing for the best from her, just a, a class person and a tremendous player. I'll be interested in seeing who's on Dallas when the season opens, because I'm not, because <laughs> I'm not so sure that that combination still of Skyler and Odyssey Sims is the best uh, in terms of working together for, uh, you know, team unity and, and sharing the ball. You know, it'll be interesting to see. No, it's such a great, such a great point. And the, it it speaks to a larger issue in the league right now, which is there are not a lot of true point guards. There are not a lot of true point guards when you're thinking in terms of who's going to play for USA basketball, uh, as you you know, as, as Sue moves on, as Lindsay moves on and realistically someone who is a true point guard, someone, someone like Mariah even, who is a point guard first, even though she's a tremendous three-point shooter and terrific to get into the basket, but a distributor first. That is that is in short supply in this league. And, and Dallas really needs someone like that. Quite frankly, New York needs someone like that. Whether it, it is Brittany Boyd uh, developing, and I think it's too soon to give up on her developing. She was someone who battled injuries 
for a significant portion of last year. But New York needs that as well. Can you imagine how good New York would be with Mariah Jefferson on that team? No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I agree with you about Brittany Boyd too. I do. She, I was very high on her coming out of school. I think that she's learning very, you know, I think that Lambert is being nice and patient and bringing in her, bringing her up. Right. And I think that this year it'll be, it'll be her team. I think that she'll be, uh, she'll handle the point uh, an awful lot on that team. It'll well, be I, interesting. I think, that, I think Lambert would like to have Prince play the two. Yeah, but we'll it, we'll we'll see if Boyd can handle it. But but Prince is such a natural too anyway, and excels in that role. It, and and listen, they need to do it. They can't keep hoping Tanisha Wright is going to go out and play thirty minutes. You know, it's just not uh, not a sustainable long term plan, and not what they had in mind even last year. Otherwise, they would have uh, built accordingly. Well, listen, we could talk about this <laughs> all night and have I know many times off the air, but. Uh, David, uh, always so much fun talking to you. Tell the listeners, uh, I can't imagine they don't know, but tell them about the podcast. Tell them what you have coming up and what's the best way to follow you. Well, you can always, you can follow me on Twitter at Dish and Swish, the letter N, of course, Dish and Swish. And, uh, you know, the website now is Dish and Swish, uh, Libsyn.com. And we are putting more and more audio content content as we have now been added to the podcasts on itunes uh look for dishing and swishing with uh the ampersand symbol not the word and and, and you'll find us there on itunes and you know as the season go as the season goes on we will hook up with uh all of your favorite college coaches and players and if there's somebody that you know you're interested in talking to having me talk to or or having something involved we'll be glad to get that on and the one thing that is new that I'm extremely proud about is we talked about the WNBA teams not necessarily promoting as well in the offseason. While the Seattle Storm is one of those teams that gets it and is really pushing it. Yeah. And we have created combined Stormcasts, which are about 8 to 12 minute podcasts with all of the favorite Storm players. And we're going to get some coaches in. We'll talk to Jenny Busick soon, I think. Uh, with them from across the world. You know, as we've already had, you know, I've spoken to Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart from China and Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis from France and Alicia Clark from Turkey. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. And you can find those on the Storms website in addition to on uh, the Dishon and Swishin site. Just terrific to see. And uh, like, like you said, it, to be able to feed the fans during the offseason, something so important, I think, for the league, but also for our state of mind and being able to enjoy it. So, David Seidel, thank you so much for being on. And uh, this is just a reminder to the listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, proud part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball. And, of course, you can subscribe to the show, uh, my name is Howard Megdahl, wishing you a very lovely day.